0: That's heritageradionetwork.org slash 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you.
1: Welcome to Meet in 3. I'm HRN's Executive Director, Katie Mosman-Wadler. This week, we're spotlighting a new show on HRN, Cooking in Mexican from A to Z. This is a really special addition to our airwaves, and in just a few moments, we'll be sharing episode one with you in its entirety. I first met Zarela Martinez in 2019 when she invited me to her home, cooked me a fabulous lunch, and told me her idea to launch a podcast with her son Aron, aimed at helping home cooks use widely available Mexican specialty ingredients in simple, authentic, and incredibly delicious preparations. Of course, we jumped at the chance. Zarela is a pioneer, often credited with bringing regional Mexican cuisine to New York City fine dining in the 80s with her eponymous restaurant, Zarela, and is a world authority on the subject. Her son and co-host, Aron Sanchez, is also incredibly accomplished and has attained celebrity in his own right, you may know him from his restaurant Johnny Sanchez in New Orleans or recognize him from TV's MasterChef and Chopped. Together, this incredible mother-son duo make a delightful pair of hosts and we at HRN are so proud to share with you cooking in Mexican from A to Z.
2: This episode is brought to you by Audible. Start exploring Audible with a free 30-day trial now. Visit audible.com HRN or text HRN to 500-500. Welcome to Cooking in Mexican from A to Z. I'm one of your hosts, Aron Sanchez, here with my lovely mother, Sara Martinez. Mom, let's talk about what we're going to be covering on this podcast.
3: Okay, first of all, let me tell you how this podcast originated. Anne Mendelson, who is my co-author of my three books, was telling me about this book that was published about cooking in Chinese and it covered a lot of the ingredients that were available and, and that how they were not used correctly. So then I realized that now all the Mexican ingredients that I grew up with and a lot of people who are in the United States grew up with are available, but people don't know how to use them. So I thought that this podcast, which will focus on one ingredient per segment, the way that it's processed, the way that it's cooked, the way that it's used in some of the lore and stories would be the perfect podcast for HRN heritage radio network. And I'm thrilled to be doing this with you, baby.
2: Oh, thank you, mom. And I'm here with my mom. And it's really awesome to have a mentor, a mother, and one of your heroes that you can call a family member. I think that is unbelievable. My mom is, without a doubt, undisputably the queen of Mexican food. The goddess. The goddess. She's a pioneer of regional Mexican cuisine in New York City, and one could argue in the country. Uh, She was born in Mexico. My mom is the author of three amazing cookbooks, uh, Food from My Heart, Food and Life of Oaxaca, and Sarelas Veracruz. Uh, She has had her own PBS series about the food and culture of Veracruz, and she continues to make moves with all her wonderful uh, knowledge on her website, com. She's a teacher, she's a a cultural ambassador for Mexico, and she's also the winner of the James Beard Awards, Who's Who, in 2013. So this is who you have as your host, my mom, Zalela Martinez.
3: Thank you, baby. Mm -hmm. I cannot tell you how proud I am of the way you have grown up. I mean, you are also an award-winning chef, and I know that we have been in competition forever and ever. He had his first restaurant when he was 20, at El Rey, and Mm -hmm. got a one star. And uh, so it's been competing until we finally came to a point where we realized that competition, is while healthy, is not the best thing to have in a mother-son relationship. So thank God you wrote your book where I come from, Mm -hmm. where you gave me all this credit that I didn't even think that was due to me because I was just doing a mother's job. But it made everything just perfect between us because I finally realized that you really appreciated all the work I tried to do with you.
2: Absolutely, Mom. I think it goes without saying that, you know, all the sacrifices you made to be a mom and at the same time chase your own dreams and do it with grace and passion and love... Uh, it needed to be stated, and in, and, and in my book, my memoir, where I come from, life lessons from a Latino chef. I talk a lot about your role, your your unbelievable teachings, and how much it's it's created the man I am. And I always say to myself, I'm so happy that I was raised by my mom, because you allowed me to be, on, think in an emotional state of mind and really look at the world as a whole and extract as much as possible. So I'm very grateful.
3: And you, and you know what's best of all is that you developed your own way, mm-hmm. your own style, because that was one of the things that I wanted you to do most of all is to develop your own style because I think that successful chefs have to have their own identity. You know, the first cooking class that I took, your mama found this teacher in Beverly Hills, and she taught me the most important lesson of my life, which was you have to create an identity, a style that everybody will associate with you, so that if you're catering a party, somebody goes in there, tastes something, and they say, "Oh, Saraela must be cooking," exactly. and, I, and I can see this in your style now.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I look back at the restaurants and the in the years in the kitchen, and I I remember that so vividly. You say, "Develop your own style. I don't don't regurgitate your mentor's teachings. Step away from that." I remember Charlie Trotter. The great late Charlie Trotter, you could always tell when a cook worked for him, because he had such a very particular style of plating, and I, you could always know by going to a chef and saying that guy worked with Charlie Trotter, you know. So I, I kept that in mind, developed my style. That's why I, I, I gravitated toward nuevo Latino flavors early in my career, because I wanted to separate myself from you. And the secondary, I also didn't feel like I knew enough about Mexican food to tackle that subject.
3: Because he would never work with me.
2: Yeah. Well,
0: for many <laughs> reasons. Anyway, but uh,
2: when I started to travel to Mexico and understand the food more intimately, and then I understood what I needed to do and how to really pray, uh, pay homage to the to our cuisine.
3: Well, the, you know, sort of the same thing happened to me. When I first came to New York, I was doing the little dishes that my mom Taught me, you know, the snapper hash and and calabacitas and manchamanteles, which is this wonderful dish with uh, with dried fruits. And the way that I first ate it was with pork and chicken together, so it's a sort of sour, sweet and sour dish. And those are the kind of dishes that I brought at the beginning. So for the about the second year that or the first year that Cafe Marimba, which was my first restaurant in New York. Was open. I took this trip to Mexico with my mom, and it completely changed not just my food, but my identity. Yeah. Because in in the north of Mexico, they don't they don't want you to talk about your indigenous roots. Yeah. Very you know, spe- very say, European. I to say to my mom, "Mom, I'm I've got some Indian roots. No, mijita, that's a Moorish blood. Yeah. It was it was preferable than having indigenous things, but." Thanks to 23 and me, I'm
1: mm-hmm. like
3: 24% native mm-hmm. Native uh, indigenous Mexican.
2: Well, and I want our listeners to really understand the family legacy that we, we have. Myself, my mom, and my mama, my mom's mother, all are cookbook authors. So we're the only family that has three generations of cookbook authors and authorities in Mexican cuisine. So put that in your mainframe. And then my mom and I are the only mother son team to ever cook at the White House. Exactly. So we have a lot of unbelievable uh, uh, knowledge about our cuisine and different points of view of, of, of looking at it. And that's what we're really going to focus on. And the ingredients are going to guide the conversation. We're going to we're going to explore and uncover uh, maybe some different techniques that you, our listeners are not familiar with. This is going to be a complete immersion into Mexican ingredients and story and a celebration of life.
3: Well, now that you mentioned, uh, you know, that we cook for the White House, <laughs> it's a perfect introduction to the subject of the day, which are chiles verdes. Green chilies. Green chilies. You know, there's a whole, a whole variety, but not, Many are used in this country because you can really only find Anaheim's, which are also called Hatch, which are also called California, which are also called Texas.
2: Yeah, the California Long Green. uh, Sometimes in Mexico it's called the Chili Chilaca. But yeah, it, it has that moniker. The Anaheim is really what's associated with the northern parts of Mexico and, and and also southwestern cuisine.
3: Yeah, and and the thing is that most people know it as the chile relleno. Mm-hmm. You know, when people go into a restaurant and say, "I want a chile relleno," they're thinking of the chili stuff with cheese, batter fried. Mm-hmm. But they don't understand that a chile relleno simply means a stuffed chili. Yeah, it mm-hmm. can be Anaheim. It can be poblano, which lends itself very well to stuffing like with Chicken with picadillo with seafood, is because it's more it's uh it's sturdier.
2: Exactly. Now let's while we're here, let's talk about the different varieties of green chilies, Mom. So we can kind of put it into context, all the different directions uh, a home cook can go in, and you have a little bit of understanding. My mom just mentioned the idea of the Anaheim Chile. Uh, just simply known as chile verde or green chili. I mean, you, and it's also called hatch. You go into New Mexico and in the in uh, the fall, and you'll go to the Walmart, and they're roasting hatch chilies in the parking lot. And, and, and people freeze them, and it's used in many different recipes for enchiladas, you know, the green enchiladas, or they call them the Christmas ones, where you'll have half red and half uh, green enchiladas that's usually made with the green chili sauce. I mean, the green, the Anaheim or the hatch. We have the chile jalapeño, right? That's also very conducive to roasting, pickling, stuffing, uh, you know. Usually with tuna. With tuna as well. That's a very traditional recipe, the chile jalapeño, which jalapeños hail from the state of Veracruz. If you ever go there, the capital of Veracruz is called Jalapa, hence the jalapeño. Yeah. And then we're talking about what do you do when the chile verde has uh, been literally dehydrated? Uh, we call it chile pasado so it's a sun dried chili so that's actually using the anaheim and drying it out in in the air
3: yeah but what normally mm-hmm. th- somebody talked to me recently about how the chile pasados left on the plant well that's not the way that we did it at the ranch and i don't think that's the way that most people do it at the ranch we used to roast them and then sun dry them
2: mm-hmm. yes
3: so so then when you when you uh wanted to cook it with with a in a stew, let's say, you would just chop it up, you know, dry, saute it with onion and garlic, and then add whatever other ingredients you want to do, usually meat.
2: Yeah, so the chile pasado is, in essence, a sun-dried chili utilizing the chile verde or the Anaheim. Uh, then we go to the chile poblano, which... The iconic Chile from Puebla. This is the chili that's used for the famous Chiles en Nogada, that dish that you cook every Cinco de Mayo. Uh, the Chile poblano uh, is just got; it's very well known and 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 has many different applications. It's the chili that's used for Rajas, the famous condiment of roasted poblano with onion, garlic. Well, no, but Rajas are, are used
3: are made from every kind of chili.
2: Yeah, that's true. You know, but that's, it's most typically the poblano, though, ma'am.
3: Well, I don't know about that.
2: Okay, well, uh-huh. we agreed to disagree. You
3: know, when when you were talking about the White House, I don't talk about how we arrived in New York on April 3rd, 1983. By the end of May, I was cooking at the Williamsburg Summit for mm-hmm. Seven Heads of State, which was an amazing thing. And I was given the closing luncheon at the Roosevelt House. But you couldn't cook there because it was so old, that they were afraid. So what they did is they told me to plan a whole grill menu. I mean, keep in mind that I knew nothing at this point. I brought my mother along to do everything. So I had had this wonderful fillet of of beef in a restaurant in Juarez, and I decided to butterfly it and stuff it with sautéed rajas, Mm -hmm. Uh, onion kind of crunchy, the poblano or the Anaheim, garlic and cheese and then covered it and grilled that and that was called that was the entree and everybody had been so anxious to give them seafood that the that all the seven heads of steak were delighted to have some beef finally and pierre trudeau sent his man to congratulate me
2: and that dish i remember you have it on your menu called tapado no
3: tapado trascala.
2: trascala and then you had that on your menu for many years uh, and I knew that was something you did a lot for, for highfalutin folks, Mom. I know. Um, yeah, so then, you know, we're talking about the chile poblano. I mean, the chile serrano is not necessarily utilized to be stuffed, but it is a wonderful, spicy, kind of devious brother of the jalapeño. Um, and then, you know, if you want to have a little bit more obscure chilies, there's the yellow hots, which are sold all over northern Mexico, the southwest. Used only only fresh, though. Um, it has like the size and the thickness of a jalapeno, but usually uh, not that terribly hot. So the yellow hot is another one. I'm sorry
3: to digress here, but some of the yellow hots that they serve at the at the that they sell at the market are very hot, and they're big. And we used to stuff them with picadillo de pobre, mm-hmm. and it was like a very very popular dish at the restaurant. Picadillo is like a sauteed meat. And this one has potatoes and it has chayotes, which is a type of squash. Relative of a squash, let's put it that way.
2: This episode is brought to you by Audible. Audible is your one-stop location for spoken word entertainment and audio books. You can find everything from bestsellers to new releases and even celebrity memoirs. In fact, you can find my memoir on Audible. In it, I share stories from my life before people recognize me from TV. Search Audible for the title, Where I Come From, Life Lessons from a Latino Chef. Now, my mom and I share many stories in this podcast, but it's just the tip of the iceberg. In my memoir, I talk about all the beautiful life lessons that my mom passed down to me that I still use every day. Audible members get one credit every month. So if you join now, you can check out my memoir today, Audible members also have full access to the Plus catalog and can listen all they want to thousands of included titles. Start exploring Audible with a free 30 day trial now. Visit audible.com slash HRN or text HRN to 500 500. Mom, we've talked a little bit about the different variations of, of green chilies that are available. And I think what's important to mention that these, these varieties of chilies are not obscure. These are pretty much commonplace. You go to big grocers, you're going to find green chile. You're going to find jalapeño. You're going to find poblano. So this is meant for you guys to access these ingredients and cook them at home or, and, and, really, and really fall in love with them, okay?
3: Well, let me tell you about this thing that I think is very important. Our flavor principles, which are techniques that you can incorporate in many dishes, building blocks, let's say. So the rajas that you were talking about can be, you know, not rajas but chopped but still sauteed with onion and garlic, added to to with la coche, which is a corn fungus, to make this delicious soup. Or it can make be made into a soup, like a poblano soup if you're using poblano chilies, or chop it up and put it in my fabulous creamy rice casserole. So the the idea is for you to have a flavor principle that you learn how to make that's really simple and that you can use in many, many different ways.
2: Yes. So now we've we've gotten our, our Chile Verde, our, this different beautiful bounty of different chilies. How do you work with them? How do you get how, extract that flavor, that mom, that you alluded to? And I think, you know, when you roast a chili, okay, so if you, if you grill it, if you put it simply over an open flame on your stovetop or you fry it, there's many different ways, but these green chilies tend to have a waxy outer skin, so you want to you remove that and get rid of that. So use those cooking applications and kick the skin off.
3: Okay, we have a... Also, I saw one of your programs, mm-hmm. and I have a, a little bone to pick with you. When I, when I roast the chili, I put it in a plastic bag, let it sit, and then I peel the chili inside of the bag mm-hmm. so that you don't use any of the juice or anything like that, and I saw somebody rinsing the chilies in one of your programs.
2: I never rinsed the chilies. Oh,
3: no, but it went, well, check the program. And anyway. No,
2: I never do I I talk about not doing that. Oh, okay. They, well. they must have been uh, uh, one of the contestants that I was going to correct Oh, we okay. doing that, Mom. I'm the judge. Okay. I would never do that. Oh, that's That's a good. fireable offense. <laughs> no, never, and I think that's important. No, it was probably one of the, the contestants, but... I think one of the things you have to always do is you're gonna go through all that trouble of roasting a chili and then you go to peel it and then you're gonna rinse it and wash away that flavor. It defeats the purpose.
3: Well, you know, the only time that I fry chilies is when I'm gonna stuff them and serve them cold yep. because the the skin, you know the the flesh is gonna really disintegrate when you roast them on top of a fire exactly. you know or you or you roast them on top of a griddle called a comar. It's going to disintegrate. But if you want to fry, and it's a dangerous proposition, you have to make sure that it's very, very dry. And blistered. Make make make, make a little hole in it so that the air uh, steam uh, escapes, and then just cook it until it's blistered or turns a little bit of beige, yep. and and the, and that way it'll be nice and firm. And you can stuff it any way you want.
2: Yeah, and you can you can allow them to cool down and sort of steam to to, to release the skin. And you could do it in a Ziploc bag, you can do it in a paper bag ideally. And my mom spoke about the technique of rubbing it while it's in the bag to not only dirty your hands, but to make, to reserve all those juices. Yeah. And that's what you want. And
3: you can do it any any kind of pepper like that, you know, like the red peppers that everybody mm-hmm. can actually make at home. That's a wonderful way of cooking it.
2: Mhm. Awesome. Now, let, Mom, let's talk a little bit about the regionality and where traditional green chili is used, because green chili is not used in certain parts of Mexico, uh, and it's just not something that's, that's, that's native or utilized a lot. Let's talk a little bit about the regionality of the green chili and how it kind of lives on the border, the, you know, of, of Mexico and the United States. Let, we're talking specifically, just to be clear, the Anaheim Chile, or the Hatch, and utilize because I'm just more familiar with it because that's where I'm from, yeah. and I know that. And talk about some of the recipes that it's utilizing. How how it's how it's so celebrated there.
3: Well, I'll tell you a funny story. When I got married to your father, mm-hmm. who had three children, mm-hmm. and they had a nanny, of course, like everybody, and uh, she her her. I guess my her, his first wife had taught her how to make this cardillo with shredded flank steak or brisket and strips of poblano or, or, or hash chili, sauteed. It was actually featured in the New York Times recently, and simply seasoned with cumin, and that was it. And it's like the stock is very rich, and then it has the the, the poblano strips, and it is just... A sensational dish that can be made ahead. It can, it's great for buffets, mm-hmm. and it's wonderful as a soup as well.
2: And what is the name of that dish?
3: It doesn't have a name.
2: And it's it's the green chili mystery. Chicas, yeah, chicas, green chili. Yeah. All right, so mom, it's used. It's used in many different applications. What are some of the other ones? You know, is are there green chili in machaca?
3: It would be used in machaca.
2: What's roasted, yeah. yeah. Okay. It would
3: be used in some type of sarpicon. Yep. Sarpicon is like usually a cold salad and it would be used with a with the um with the chili and ground meat or or chopped meat.
2: hmm So one of the things that I think is awesome to mention, you know, I I at my one of my restaurants I remember getting in touch with this wonderful purveyor of hatched chilies in new mexico and this gentleman would roast them over this really sort of intense mesquite fire and he would he would peel them ever so slightly but he left a lot of the skin in the char on them and he would freeze them and ship them to me and i did many different things with them but i think it's important to mention right that green chilies are great frozen yes. yeah they hold really well
3: as long as you as long as you leave them in the skin
2: yes exactly. you know that,
3: that can think of one dish that you do eat Roasting the chilies, stuffed. In Oaxaca, they take the a chili, put stuff it with with uh, cheese, and then grill it. Mm. So that so then you eat you know the the little charred skin, and it is absolutely wonderful.
2: Um, I think it's worth mentioning to our listeners about the the ubiquitous, often uh, done poorly, Chile relleno, and and define that because I think. When people think of Chile relleno, some people gravitate towards the en nogada, which is you know a, a poblano pepper that's stuffed with a picadillo and served with a walnut-based sauce that ha- it has cream cheese and cream in it and gilded with with pomegranates. And the reason that it's so significant because it has all the Mexican colors of the flag. The, the colors of the Mexican flag representing that dish.
3: Yeah, but it was made for for a viceroy. Yeah,
2: for the viceroy, And exactly. it, was,
3: it was created to honor him
2: yeah.
3: uh, around, you know, when when he took power over Mexico. Yeah. Agustín de Aturvide.
2: Yeah, so some people associate chile renos with that particular recipe, but the more understood version is the simple green chili, the Anaheim, that's stuffed with cheese, and then, mom, you, your chili relleno batter is fantastic. And then you dust this little chili, this chili, with flour, and then you make a, uh, then you make uh, an egg. You, you you beat the whites and then add the yolks, right, yeah, mom? that's called lamprear. Okay, so yeah. And and
3: on my website,
2: mm-hmm.
3: sarera.com, we have a video teaching you exactly how to make this particular concoction because all it is is egg whites beaten very stiff. And then you add one egg yolk at a time until it's all incorporated, and you use that to dip the chilies.
2: But you you dust the chilies after they've been roasted and stuffed with a little finger of queso whatever, queso blanco. It You dust the flour so the batter adheres. Yeah. Right? Okay.
3: And, and you know, when I was uh, still working as a medical social worker in El Paso and starting my catering business, I had this breakfast contract for GTE, and we used to serve 650 people every morning. And once in a while, we had to make this chile relleno combination plate, which nobody except, you know, restaurants do, because it would take you all day to make all the elements. And we were making the chila rellenos to order. And it, it became so many that we were just putting them in with our hand mm. and taking them out. Because, and, and we didn't feel the burn. But they were so they were so amazing. So when you're gonna dip it, there's always gonna be a little part of the chili that's not covered with the batter. Mm-hmm. So then what you do is you start pouring fat over that part, mm-hmm. and then it, it becomes totally covered.
2: Now, w- when you make that recipe, Mom, because I've seen a lot of chile rellenos, they fry them ahead of time and let them sit, and they get saturated with that fat, and and, and it, they kind of they, they lose their little poof, or their, their, how they expands the batter you you recommend eating them right away.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. But you know what in in Veracruz what they do is that they make the batter but sprinkle in a little bit of flour into the batter.
1: Oh, yeah. To give it more body.
3: Yeah, and then they fry the chilies and then they they hold a lot better.
2: Mhm. So, mom, out of all of the different ways of cooking the chili, which, which which is the ideal way of doing it? You talked about why you would fry it. But what what is the best way? Is it a grill? Is it a comal? Is it an open flame? Like what what do you think?
3: For me, it's open flame, okay. you know, open flame because that way it, they don't get overdone. Mm-hmm. You're watching it carefully, and then you can take them out exactly when they're ready. Mm-hmm. If you don't forget.
2: No, right, absolutely. Yeah, you gotta you have to be very mindful of that. Absolutely, and that technique applies for all peppers, whether it's a red bell pepper, whether it's You know anything else that you really want that that's in that family? uh, It it would be, it would be really uh, applicable for that. Um, You know we have a dear friend named Tim Stark from Eckerton Hill Farms. He's known as a tomato grower, but he also grows chilies. Yeah, and that's one of the things he hangs his hat on very much. And I've been buying chilies and tomatoes for him for you know 20 years. But he he has a very particular way of thinking about it because usually where tomatoes grow chilies will grow right mom yeah and uh he's really sourced a lot of different chilies he grows green chili but I think what makes his what makes him very unique is that he he, he tries to isolate the right chilies right mom yeah and I think that's really fantastic
3: well there's so much to to talk about because uh, you know like in the southwest they make like jam mm-hmm. made out of, of, of green chilies yeah. you know they, they make all sorts of products to, like, purees to add to dips. They, they, they actually make this fabulous dip that, that you saute, you know, roasted chili, saute, and puree it, and it's smoky and yeah. wonderful, and you can serve it on, on a little, tos, you know, tostada or...
2: So, Mom, uh, I have to admit, you know, talking a little bit about my restaurant, Johnny Sanchez in New Orleans, uh, I have, I had, I have uh, a queso fundido on my menu, you know we have beautiful tortillas that we have made fresh for us every morning. So I have this, you know, I do a very traditional with rajas with the sauteed onion, the garlic, the roasted poblano. I serve that in, uh, in the in the cheese bubbling casserole, if you will. Sometimes we put chorizo, sometimes we don't, and it just wasn't taking off. So then my business partner said we got to put with the with uh, the gringos call or the Americans call a queso dip, <laughs> right? And I had an aversion to this. I was kicking and screaming. I said, no, no, no. And they're like, chef, this is gonna be a hot seller. So basically, it's like a melted fondue of cheap cheese, but in that is is interwoven onion and cilantro and poblano peppers or green chili. And it has turned out to be the, my best seller.
3: Well, well you know, I, I, just so went, I just went to Steve Earle's birthday party on Sunday. And I and I called him and I said, "Do you want? To, do you have it? Does the idea of a Texas style hmm. chili con queso appeal to you?" He said, "Of course." Yeah. So yeah. There I, I'm trying to find Velveeta <laughs> exactly, exactly in New York. You but know? people love it. <laughs> I know. And and I, I and I added some roasted poblanos and some roasted jarapeños and serranos, and everybody was so happy with that. I did not eat it.
2: I, but, but you know what I'm saying, so it, I think it's it says a lot of about how people really love the green chili and um, people get enamored with the cheese part of it, but it's really the green chili that gives it body. Mom, just quickly, I want because we're talking about green chili and we're talking about the Southwest and Texas and Northern Mexico. Talk a little bit about how you would define Tex-Mex because I know my mama had a very particular way of describing it. You want to share that? Just because I think it's important for our listeners while we have the time.
3: It's very important because the thing is that you have to understand that Texas was part of Mexico Mm -hmm. for the longest time. Mm -hmm. So whatever, what happened was that Tex-Mex is the food of the north of Mexico bastardized, you know, because they, you know, they... They put it all together with the same sauce. It doesn't have the distinction of all the different flavors and the fresh. I mean, those combination plates, I mean, are, I think what is what typifies Tex-Mex.
2: Yeah. And, you know, I remember her saying that a lot of the food was born because you had people that were, you know, ranchers and people that worked the land would have these Mexican ladies cook for them. And they liked aspects of the food, but maybe they found it too spicy. They didn't dig the flour tortillas or the corn tortillas. And they kind of adopted their own style, you know, and and interpreting Mexican flavors, right?
3: Yeah. And it's like... It tastes completely different. It's wild. I mean, even in Juarez, I mean, all you have to do is cross the border, a tiny little border, and the food is completely different from the one found in El Paso. you know, I recently got this call from this guy who was doing a documentary on how the burrito originated in El Paso, Texas. And I said, no, it didn't. You know, it probably originated, I don't know the exact origin of this, but it probably originated with a, with all the cattle ranches that are mm. in Texas and in Chihuahua because it's a perfect, you know...
2: Food to hold on to, yeah, exactly. like to go if you're out there working the land, right?
3: I know, so I refuse to take part in the documentary.
2: Mom, I want you to put your foot down and say, take your burrito and stuff it. <laughs> I love it, you know? And there's no reason to, uh, to do something that would compromise. But, uh, yeah, so, <laughs> I think that's extremely important.
3: Yeah you know the other thing is the last thing i mean chilies are not used in desserts too much mm-hmm. unless i learn but they are they do make a wonderful jam with a, or a, yeah. a marmalade and it's delicious
2: yeah i agree and I, and that's actually wonderful on a cheese platter oh you, that's you, a good you, idea so if you make like a little like a little compote uh, or almost like what you would call uh, in italy what's it called the mostarda you can make a little mostarda with with green chili. And I think that would be a nice addition to a cheese plate. Oh, I'd like sucruda. that. So I think you've uh, gotten some insight on the beautiful world in, in, of green chili. I hope you got to know my mom and I a little bit better. Uh, throughout this podcast series, we're going to touch upon all the ingredients of Mexico, hopefully. The, the, the primary ingredients of in Mexico that that really give it its character in life.
3: Yeah, they're available here now mm-hmm. and teach you how to use them because you go to the green market and there's so many ingredients and people just sort of look at them or buy them for decoration. Mm. So it's this is a total pleasure, honey, mm-hmm. being able to do this podcast with you because you give me the contemporary thing and I have sort of the historical background mm-hmm. and the passion that we share in this subject, in our cuisine, and the pride that we have in in our culture.
2: Absolutely. I think, you know, we are guided by the ingredients, and I think that is important. And if we understand the ingredients intimately, it gives us more perspective on how to use them and have an appreciation for our culture and our food. And that's what we're really going to touch upon throughout Cooking in Mexican from A to Z throughout this podcast series. Uh, Mom, if people want to find out more information or, or, or access your wealth of knowledge and want tips, you know, they have culinary quandaries, they want recipes, where do they go?
3: They're going to go to com. Oh, I have to give you a, tell you a little story. When I was growing up, I said to my mother why did you name me Zarela? Why couldn't I have a normal name like Carmela, Gabriela, Ana? She said, because it's going to look great in lights, honey. So thank you, Mom.
2: And and your name was in lights. Many. Many nice. And uh, and I think that's wonderful. I knew that very well. I remember when your mom, when she was writing uh, a great book, which we encourage all of you guys to go get, that's still available. It's called Mexican Family Cooking by Aida Gabilondo. It was published in 1986. And who was the
3: publisher? Valentine.
2: It was Valentine. Valentine. And I remember going to the Excelsior Hotel on 81st Street. And my grandmother was staying there. And she had all the pages of her manuscript all over the bed. And I remember that so intimately.
3: Yeah. Remember, Mom? She was so passionate about it. And when we, when we moved here, everybody was paying attention to me and wanted me to write a book. And my mom says, well, if you write your book... I won't write my book. Mm. I said, "Mom, you write the book. I'm, I don't. I have not developed my style yet."
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, again, it's truly remarkable to have three generations of cookbook authors and and uh, ambassadors for Mexican food and culture. So, please look up not just us, Aron Sanchez, Sara La Martinez, but also our, my grandmother, my mema, Aida Gavilondo. And uh, the Mexican family cooking is a great along with my mom's book, Food From My Heart, are a great starter uh, book for people that are in love with Mexican food and want to learn the techniques and the flavor principles. So please seek out Food From My Heart because you'll really get a good intro into Mexican food and techniques and then as well as my grandmother's book. Okay? This has been Cooking in Mexican from A to Z. Please join us on this journey as we uncover all the beautiful ingredients of Mexico and show them how to use them, how to savor them, and how to appreciate them. Muchísimas gracias, Amarón Sánchez.
3: And I'm Sarela Martínez.
2: Hasta la próxima. Cooking in Mexican from A to Z is powered by Simple Cast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website. Heritage radio Network.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at Facebook.com slash heritage Radio Network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without your support from listeners like you.